freaking auto! This, this is Brock and Salk. I don't read the internet, guys. Presented by Carter, Volkswagen, and Ballard. Take the bull by the hands. On Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airline Studio. And Brooke Roar, you are. And Brooke, you are. Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Salk. I know you think I don't always listen to you, but I do. And there are, there are times, Brock, where you will say something that really sticks with me. Mm. That, 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 that I'll keep kind of noodling on for a while and I'll keep coming back to it. I already have come back to it once today because your comment yesterday about, you know, hey, the Geno deal, as good as it was, is starting to look even better. Why? Because of the sheer number of potential NFL quarterbacks that could be in next year's draft. And for young, aspiring broadcasters, that came in tough time. I mean, that was as I was thinking about the weekend that was in college football that finished off last night as they went Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and all the explosive offenses and great quarterback play. I was like, huh, that deal that John and Pete did, pretty savvy with Geno because the supply chain of upcoming quarterbacks, pretty darn healthy. Okay, so all of a sudden, and you said there could even be 10 quarterbacks next year that are NFL worthy. I'm just going to use that as a round number. I'm not going to hold you to that. But let's... Caleb Williams, Drake May, Bo Nix, Michael Penix, Spencer Rattler, Quinn Ewers, J.J. McCarthy, Riley Leonard, Jordan Travis, Michael Pratt, Shadour Sanders, just to name a few. That was 11. Uh-huh. I mean, that was 11 guys. All those guys are going to be in the draft this year? Could be. I mean, we'll see what the next 11 weeks of college football looks like, and inevitably a couple of them will come back to school. Maybe a name or two that I didn't even mention there right. uh, starts to pop. So, yeah, there's going to be – I would think confidently eight to 12 guys okay. that, that are going to be and put up prolific numbers in, in that. And kind they're not of all going to be available to you. I mean, some of those guys are going to go in the top five and some of them will be in later rounds. But, mm-hmm. you know, that's a that's a lot of guys, a lot more than we've talked about the last few years. So if that's the case, Brock, and I'll, of course, believe you when you say these things, I move into three different kind of places. The first question for me is, what does Gino need to do? to keep the Seahawks away from that conversation. Is there anything he can do? I mean, you know, you heard Steve Weiss say, well, it's not like he's going to throw for 4,500 yards. Well, he threw for almost 4,300 last year. I mean, like, so if he's a little bit better this year and he throws for 4,500 yards and takes them to the NFC Championship game, are they still potentially in the market next year for another quarterback? The first thing he has to do is exactly what he did last year, and that's play 17 games. Right, true. As Steve Weiss said, hey, under the radar story is these freak show defensive lines that can't be blocked that are just hitting and hammering quarterbacks all preseason long. So, number one, durability and availability. Okay. And he checked that both of those boxes, unlike just about anybody else in the league last year, playing every single snap for the Seahawks. That's the first thing he can do. The second thing, complete 70% of your passes. He was at, he was right there until the final week of the season. Go ahead and complete 70% of your passes. I think the rest of those numbers take care of themselves. Mm. So those would be kind of the top. So if he does those things, what if he does those two things? Mm -hmm. Are you out of the market next year? Uh, yeah, because I think the contract is pretty favorable, but I don't think you have to be, especially if you're late twenties, right? And and that is where the old Aaron Rodgers fell to. That is where yeah, you can find if if one of these guys were to fall. And and by the way, loaded offensive line draft, some tremendous receivers in this upcoming draft. Like to your point, these guys are not all going to go in the top ten. Mm-hmm. So, but. 
You say that, Brock, and then you say, uh, you know, there's all these unbelievable defensive lines, this, that, and the other, and you look at your team and say, what's the one thing they're missing? And it's that kind of a freak show defensive line that you're talking about. So I I wonder, and this is not a question for us to answer today. It's more of a question to think about throughout the season. What is it Gino can do this year to eliminate that conversation for next year, if anything? Is he just at an age where a quarterback in the draft is just too important to pass up. You just take one because is he limited enough in his upside that you think that there's, you know, a a reason to go draft somebody who could take you to an even Mm -hmm. higher point. Mm -hmm. Do you believe that the the value and cost saving from having a quarterback on a rookie deal is so great Mm -hmm. that it's worth doing, even if it's a downgrade a little bit from Gino? I don't know. It's funny. We seem to think Gino can do just about anything on a football field. And yet, it's hard not to start getting intrigued by what could be the future. So that that's sort of the first direction. The second right. one is this. If you're the Seahawks, what are you thinking about in terms of those quarterbacks? And and you just sort of answered some of this, but is it a first rounder somewhere in the 20s? Are you thinking about trading out of the first round because somebody's going to be so desperate to come up for one of those quarterbacks that you think you can get even more value for it? Mm-hmm. Do you like some of the mid-round guys that might eventually be available? Again, not going to answer this question today, nor should we you know, talk very long about it. But as you go through the season, how do you not have that in the back of your mind? Yeah, and to have maybe a guy that is a little different than a, than a Geno that just has, and so many of these guys, and you saw it last night with the Duke QB, they just have a level of athleticism, right? That ability to extend plays, that ability to, to run. If defensive lines are going to continue to be so dominant and such a driving force in this league, well, maybe Pete and John were a little ahead of the curve. Maybe there was a reason that they took running backs in the second round back-to-back years and guys that people don't want to tackle. Mm. And you know what? We watched when a QB could really run early in his career. What a one-two punch of a running game. And, you know, we'll see in Indianapolis whether or not Jonathan Taylor ever decides to play this season or not. <laughs> uh, but I'm sure that was some of their thought mm. with, a, with a good old line is to have, you know, a dynamic dual threat, really athletic QB because that's one way to slow down a defensive line for sure. Well, the last direction I kind of go for this, Brock, and again, this is not something really to answer today, but I think it it leads me to some interesting thoughts, and that is of those quarterbacks, the 8 to 12 you just mentioned, who fits Pete Carroll? (laughs) And then when I ask myself that, I'm going, well, I don't even know what that means anymore. Right. I mean, Russell Wilson and and Geno Smith, I think I do in some ways, Mm -hmm. but Russell and Geno were so thoroughly different from each other. And Pete adapted around the strengths of a new quarterback so well that I think it changes some of the common belief of what it is that Pete is enamored with. I also wonder if you were to draft a quarterback in this upcoming draft, and I know we're already going to the end of the year before (laughs) even getting to the whole year we got here, but I couldn't help it. My mind was spiraling yesterday. Uh If you were to draft a quarterback, is that even a Pete Carroll fit or is it a John Schneider thing? Right. Because is, you know, who's going to be here longer, a quarterback you draft this year or Pete Carroll. And again, maybe Pete does go five, six, 10 more years. Maybe he's coaching when he's 85, 80 years old. I don't know. He sure seems like he could, but I wonder if that's a conversation you know, and a it, question if you're yeah. drafting a quarterback. I'm going to uh, parse your your three different roads there, like, as you usually do when I go three ways yeah. and, and you focus on one word or one sentiment. You said a word there that I don't think we have said all offseason. We have framed the question, I don't know, a hundred different ways to Gino and Pete and even Steve Weish uh, earlier in this show. 
But you said a word there that we don't really say that much and talk about that much. And man, should we ever, especially leading into this Rams game in this season. What is Geno's upside? And therein answers just about everything that you just discussed, all three of those paths. What is Geno's upside? Not can he repeat, not what does he have to do. What is his upside? Is you watched him for 17 games last year and all you Seahawks fans and all you football fans watched him. Right, That is so much of this. That is why these QBs get overdrafted again and again. Anthony Richard can throw a ball 100 yards. He's 255 and runs 4-4. Right? Look at his upside. It's unbelievable. Yeah, but can he play? You know, can he, can he accurately see and process the game and do all these things that you've got to be able to do? Penix could throw it 80 yards. Caleb Williams is a, is a human joystick. Drake May is a 6'5 hooper and a great athlete. All this upside, upside, upside. Mm. So captivated by that. We watched Gino for 17 games. Is there more upside? Do you think he has more upside? Because the rest of the pundits don't really do it. And when we, when you listen back and you think to our Gino conversation, that little smirk he had on his face talking to us, and he even said a couple different times, I had a really, really good year, even if people didn't notice. Yeah, I don't really you know, pay attention to what people think going into this year because they still are writing him off. They still don't mm-hmm. think he has upside. If this dude has more upside and he can climb up that mountain just a, a few more steps – you're not talking about any of these yeah, QBs in the first couple of I think it's an interesting rounds. way you, you, you bring that up. You're right. It's, it's a phrase we should have been using, and it's sort of what we were getting at when yep. we asked Pete, does Gino need to be any better in order for you to go further? And Pete said, no, he doesn't. If he does exactly what he did last year, that will be enough. <sighs> I, 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 for me, that's hard to imagine, that if he's exactly the same as he was last year, that's enough to get him to a Super Bowl. It's enough to repeat what they did There's got to be more in the final year. two minutes, Salk. There's got to be more on third downs. There's got to be more protecting the football. Those three things more to me. More elevating people around yep. them. I mean, like all those things that go with it. Yep. I think you're right. That word upside is probably one we're going to come back to quite a few times over the course uh, of this season. All right. Coming up next, uh, well, a lot of guys with upside certainly drafted by the Seahawks, and a few of them even found their way back on the football field yesterday. We'll tell you who did, who didn't. Next, it's Brock and Salk, Sales Sports on 710. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Not concerned, at least not yet, but certainly uh, an uh oh moment yesterday for the Mariners. They dropped their second straight game, third in their last four, so a little bit of a coming back to earth after the excess of July and certainly August. We knew some of that would happen, but it still hurts when you actually watch it. couple of chances, though. I mean, say what you want. They didn't have a good game. Their starter didn't really have it, and yet they battled, and they put runners on base, and they really had three big shots to get back into the game. Unfortunately, first day, Eugenio and then Julio twice struck out in all three of those spots, and that was pretty much it. As for Brian Wu, that was a little bit more concerning. He did not look his best at all. The velocity was down a little bit. He didn't have his best stuff. He was hitting guys and walking guys and even giving up home runs. And uh, Scott afterwards said, hey, sorry, man, you got to wear it sometimes. Well, he wasn't coming out. That's what happens when you're in the major league rotation. And maybe you don't have your A game that day. You got to figure out a way to keep your team in the game. At least, you know, save some bullpen, whatever, which he did. Credit to him. You know, he he flipped flipped the switch and made a good adjustment there. And that's something he can take and learn from going forward. What do you make of that? You kind of hear it in dad's voice right there, you know? 25 games to go here, boys, and it's time to buckle down and play our kind of ball. And in these losses, we've given away some outs. We've thrown at people. We've walked people. We've done things that we know we can't do. 
in that month of August, 21 and 5, those things don't don't happen in baseball very often. In fact, they've never happened for this organization. And, and yeah, Julio and Teo got unbelievably hot. But you play clean ball, too. And this team doesn't have a lot of margin, especially mm-hmm. against playoff contenders. Since he's athletic, man, they can run. And if you leave cookies over the middle of the plate, you're going to get you're going to pay for them. And then conversely, and I know this is what concerns you, when Julio gets middle middle, not in the ninth, but middle middle in the seventh, mm-hmm. middle middle ninety four, and misses it. Yeah, they, they've missed a lot more pitches in the zone here in the last few days than than we've seen for a while. And hopefully that's just a little a little you know. Long season radar, (laughs) something that ends up lasting. Yeah, that's not something that is very sustainable. That's for sure. We'll talk to Jeff Passon about it coming up here in about ten fifteen minutes. Uh, We do know they go as Julio goes, so obviously getting him going again would be great. He did hit a home run yesterday and became the second player of all time ever to have two twenty five twenty five seasons in his first two years. (laughs) What? At 21 and 22 years of age. Pretty unbelievable. Houston destroys Texas in the first game of that series. Toronto beats Colorado in extra innings. So Mariners still tied for first. Bryce Miller, Connor Phillips uh, will be the game today. 340, game two against the Reds. Here's the second thing you need to know. I promise good Seahawks news, and I think there is quite a bit of it. Daryl Taylor, Mike Morris, Derek Hall all out at practice yesterday with helmets on. Jackson Smith and Jigba practiced once again. Even Devin Witherspoon was participating in some way. So no injury report until tomorrow afternoon. But after some of the concern of a few days ago, and we mm-hmm. said, all right, practice last week. Are these guys going to go? Looks like most of them are. Don't know how many on a bonus Monday actually did team reps, but the fact that you're not just at walkthroughs, you actually have your helmet on and you're participating and running around, even if it's individuals, to ramp back up, that is great news for all of those guys mentioned, and in particular, your number five pick. John Schneider spoke with the press yesterday, was asked about Devin Witherspoon's injury and level of concern he has with it, and what's going on there, John? Here was the GM of your Seahawks. A concern? You know, I would say that, yeah, I would, I would, yeah, a little bit. You know, he had a, had an hamstring in the spring, got himself ready to run his forty. You know, had a little bit of a setback during camp. So, you know, we got to be smart with it. He's doing great. We'll see how he does this week now. But physically, I guess because it's a hamstring, mentally, no, because he's such a tough, you know, gritty competitor. He's gonna, you know, he's gonna, he's gonna go for it. You know, if anything, we're probably gonna have to govern him a little bit. Wonder if there's gonna be a market for body specialists. I wonder after Cooper Cup kind of set that tone heard that there. phrase before? No. I mean, uh-uh. it doesn't make any sense. A body specialist. That's just ridiculous. I've never heard of anything quite like that. Here's the third thing you need to know. Uh, I see. We've been talking here, need to know about uh, Shohei Otani, which is an interesting story. He's going to have a procedure, according to his agent. I uh, wouldn't say that it was Tommy John, but it sure sounds like Tommy John. He'll DH next year while he rehabs, and then he does plan to pitch again after that. The other story, though, Brock, that I found interesting yesterday was the entire country cheering for Duke. Mm. What? Like, what world did I just wake up in where all of a sudden the entire... Now, it's Duke... Football, not Duke yes. basketball. basketball, and it's against Clemson, and I think that there's uh-huh. some frustration there with their head coach. But it just dawned on me that whenever you ask people why they hate Duke, it's because of the student body, mm-hmm. right? And yet they had no problems cheering for the same student mm-hmm. body yesterday. Because they have been so bad in football for a lot of years. 
Peyton's old coach helped him and helped elevate it, and they got to some bowl games and everything else. But Mike Elko won, what, like nine games last year, something crazy like that at Duke, and now they're going to be ranked once again and knocking off Clemson for the first time in, like, ever uh, in a home opener. Yeah, you start to do things that haven't been done before, and it will be kind of fun to watch this whole portal, man, all of this movement of talent. Mm-hmm. Right In the past, the talent pretty darn isolated to a few places. But all of a sudden, and we've seen this in college basketball. College basketball was a trailblazer even before football, right, where you started to see these mid-majors grow and these transfers come in and elevate programs and change brands. And hey, hold on a second. You know, what, what if it isn't just four or five players? What if it's 20, 30, 40, 90 in Boulder, Colorado that can transition and change? You can build a program in a hurry. Mike Elko has certainly done that just in two years in Durham. All right, there you go. That is everything you need to know, which, of course, we do every hour, Brock, every single okay. hour. Quarter so I think I know what this body specialist is. By okay. I, you figured I, it out? I think so. We can ask Passon about it, if he's ever thought about a body specialist coming off his spinal injury. <laughs> But I think the body specialists of today know that everything is more interconnected than it used to be. Okay. Right? It's not just a, hey, I'm an orthopedic. I just do shoulders or I just do elbows. I think these body specialists today, I'm going to, I'm going to imagine are much more tied into the. It still doesn't sound like specialists. You know, Cooper, this is really not a hamstring issue. This is a, a spine. This is a hip. This is a core. This is how all of these things are tied together. To now impact and affect chronically a hamstring that you got going I know, on. But here. you say specialist, and it really sure sounds like a specialist should, you know, specialize well, in something. You uh, have been very critical of Ian Rappaport's reporting in the past. He Always. is the one that said uh, body. Oh. Um, the, the Rams website, their reporter says that he's going to see a specialist in Minnesota. Uh, so nobody else is saying body specialist other than Ian? That, Ian Rappaport was the first one to report. Well, that's certainly a little concerning. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. All right. Well, now that I know that, that probably changes things a little are bit. You, uh, how are you going to be with passing today? And what if he Fine. starts throwing at you, lost three or four, starts coming at throwing you? Throwing at me all he wants. Of course, okay. We all knew this was going to happen. I told him so last week. Okay. Yeah, I'm right. not worried about Jeff. I think okay. Jeff will be... Just fine. We'll deal with him coming up next. Brock and Salt, Sales Sports on 710. This, this is Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Back in mornings from 6 to 10. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Always excited to talk to Jeff Passan, and we'll do so right now. Good morning, Jeff. How are you? I'm doing great, Mike. How are you? Doing awesome, man. Got so much fun baseball to talk about. The Mariners are tied for first place. Obviously, haven't had their greatest week as they dropped three out of their last four, including two out of three in New York. So, you know, certainly uh, some trepidation here as we tried to spend some of the morning figuring out what was frustrating and what was actually concerning. As I watch them, the thing that, that feels most concerning to me is they look a little tired. They look and and you see it, you know, swinging and missing at balls in the zone. It just they look a little tired to me, and I don't, I don't know what you do for a tired team in September. What do you what do you do in that situation? <laughs> that's a great question. I honestly have absolutely no idea what you do for a team that's been playing out of its mind for like a month and a half. There, there has to be some point at which you hit a wall, though, mm-hmm. right? I mean, when you're on a heater, the level that the Mariners have been on, the notion that they're going to continue on that sort of heater, 
it's not particularly realistic. And, and that, to me, is the difference between the Mariners and, like, Atlanta. I, I think the Braves are probably the only team in baseball that we can expect this sort of sustained level of play from just because the talent is so overwhelming there. They're so mm -hmm. good that even if a couple of guys run into the wall, they're going to have other guys who pick them up. The, their lineup is deep enough. Their pitching staff is strong enough that uh, it's almost like they are slump proof. Um, the, the Mariners aren't there quite yet. And that's okay because what they have done is they put themselves in a position uh, not only to, to win the division, but to get a bye in the first round, which is wild. Like, would mm. you ever have thought, even a month ago, that the Mariners would, would be in a spot where they could be taking the wild card weekend off and really setting up their pitching staff for the division series and beyond? Probably depends on how Jeff, seriously you took the Rangers. Uh, well, uh, stop. Gosh. I uh, that. I, you <laughs> sorry. Know. You know, I don't even want to fight with you today. I'm sorry. That was a cheap no. shot, and, no, no. I, and I apologize. No, I just here's, – here's, here's the thing. I was expecting it, and I'm surprised <laughs> I, I would have taken the under. I thought you were going to lead with that. No, I don't want to do uh, that. I have so many actual baseball uh -huh. things to ask you about today that I don't want to take cheap shots. I'm sorry about that. And before he yeah, fires sure. those at you. Very sincere. Yep, thank you. <laughs> but, before he throws a bunch of them and hurls them your way, Mr. Passon, I think of my peers in the broadcast industry calling games and basketball and hockey in particular, two sports that don't play 162, but they do play 82. And the number of times you will see in those games, both on the ice and on the hardwood, where a team comes back, where they're down big and they, they come all the way back. And then inevitably the analyst says, well, I don't know. I mean, they expended so much energy to make that run. They expended so much personnel to make that left in the tank. And I wonder with kind of the, the fatigue and the tire question there, like the Mariners <laughs> expended so much energy, 21 and five, best month in, in the history of the franchise to come all the way mm -hmm. back. Is it possible? Do teams come to mind as, over the years when I say this that, man, here was this team that came all the way back, man, right in that horse race, all the way back, but in the final home stretch, they just had expended so much energy to get there. They didn't have enough left in the tank. Is that a fair comparison, analogy to the game of baseball? I don't think so. Um, and I, look, I'm sure there are examples. I can't think of any off the top of my head. I'm sure there are examples of teams that went on incredible runs and just in the end didn't make it. But I, I look at what brought the Mariners to this point to begin with, and it's their pitching, right? And I, I look at their pitching right now, and uh, I see Logan Gilbert, and he looks pretty darn good. And I see Luis Castillo, and he looks pretty good. And I know George Kirby's last start wasn't, uh, you know, last couple of starts really weren't his greatest. But uh, I, I still, I don't know. I, maybe, maybe I have misplaced trust in George Kirby. Not, not, not because I should be doubting him and what he's capable of, but because he's never done this before. Mm -hmm. He hasn't done like a full season that's going to be stretching into October, right? So that that's hard, but I, 
I still, I, I just have a hard time believing that he's going to falter down the stretch. And so because, because their anchor is their starting pitching, I, I don't think the Mariners are in severe jeopardy here. I think their starters are ready for this. And maybe maybe not as much with Bryce Miller and maybe not as much with Brian Wu. But the top three guys, the ones who you're going to need to be your horses in October, I fully believe in them at this point still. Were, were you surprised by the way the waiver claim thing went and, and who claimed whom? Hmm. Yeah, I was. I... Uh, just, just a little insight into how I operate here. I don't know if anyone cares or is interested. Oh, in we that. care. <laughs> I, but you know what? I don't. So I'm going to tell the story anyway. <laughs> um, I will. I will get things prepared uh, about 24 hours in advance when I know stuff's going to be going down. So, like trade deadline, I had a a like document of every single name who I thought could be traded and every single team that I thought he could be traded to and had like a tweet ready for it. So there were, you know, a hundred plus different incarnations here. I did not have the Cleveland guardians on my bingo card for waiver madness. I had the reds there, um, but I did not think Cleveland was going to come in and, poached, you know, arguably the three biggest names or or three most desired guys in, uh, in Lucas Giolito, Matt Moore, and Ronaldo Lopez. And uh, honestly, I I think it's great for the Mariners that that actually happened. The the notion of them slipping down any further to teams that are actually in contention at this point, Cleveland's contending for one thing and one thing alone. And that is the prize uh, of the American League Central Division champion, which is is really not much of a prize at all. Uh, and and I will say this: I find I find it very interesting. Uh, and and I don't know if you guys have had this discussion. If the Mariners don't win the division, would you rather they finish in the first wild card, where they would host the the fifth? Uh, fifth place team in the league or would you rather them finish with a third wild card where they go on the road but face a minnesota twins team that's going to be by record worse than the mariners or any of the other wild card teams i'm focused on today jeffrey yeah, we're, we're, okay, we're, i'm, we I'm not focused on today yes. yeah, come on now <laughs> focused on right now <laughs> one game at a time I don't, I don't know what you mean looking into the playoffs like that Unbelievable. <laughs> it's a good, it's a very good real question uh-huh. and one that in a couple of weeks, uh-huh. I hope we're willing to have that conversation. But at the moment, I'm not, I'm not quite, I'm not quite ready for it, to be honest with you. That's, that's, that's fair. But, but let me ask you this. Does, like, do the Blue Jays scare you guys? Uh-huh. I mean, I know they're right. Yeah. You know, I think everybody should do. be a little yes. scary. I mean, like, all the teams that are left have something about them that is pretty good. Heck, watching Cincinnati play yesterday and going, hey, this is a team that's got, I mean, not that they play them in the playoffs, but, you know, they're a 500 baseball team, but they're feisty and they've got some talent. And... Cincinnati, dude, Cincinnati, yeah, Cincinnati's good. Cincinnati bullpen the Mariners to death yesterday yeah. too. I mean, they mm-hmm. like I, I I was I was looking at the box score from that game, 
They started a guy who was coming off his second Tommy John surgery and first appearance back in the big leagues. And then Michael Marriott, I don't know if you knew this, Michael Marriott, who threw three very important innings in the middle of the game, hadn't pitched in the big leagues since 2016. Like, I thought he was retired for five years. Nope, still sticking around. <laughs> and that's, you know, those are those are the types of games that you just mm-hmm. kick yourself when you don't win. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Frustrating for sure. Hey, so uh, some specific Mariner questions for you. One that we were debating yesterday. Uh, what are you doing now that Teoscar Hernandez has had this incredible turnaround here? What is your plan if you're Jerry DePoto for Teo moving forward? I still don't know if you QL him at this point. Really? Why not? I, I mean, mean to me, that seems like the easiest thing to do. Why wouldn't you? I, I mean, I. It's easy, but it's twenty million bucks, and I think he. Eh, see, I don't know if he would accept it or not. I mean, do you think twenty million dollars for Tay Oscar Hernandez is about right for one year? Sure. Yeah, I think for one year, yes. And if he doesn't take it, you know, I would assume he gets fifty million plus on a multi-year deal somewhere else. So. You know, there aren't that many big-time, not that he's a big-time power hitter, but a guy who hits the ball hard as often as he does. To me, he's probably a DH moving forward, but I don't know I don't know that there would be much of a downside in, in giving him the QO, especially given what else is out there in free agency. Yeah, I, I think, you know what, I think that's reasonable. I just, I, when it comes to Tay Oscar, and, and I don't know why I do this, but I, I sometimes just gravitate toward the things he doesn't do rather than the things he does. Mm-hmm. And I have such a I have a such I have such a hard time wrapping my head around the notion of a productive player who doesn't walk. But that's what he is. He he is a productive player who strikes out like fifteen times as often as he walks <laughs> or feels mm-hmm. that way. No, I, I mean. You look at the last last few weeks; it's actually been like that. Um, but but the power the power has always been there, and as much as Julio has been, uh, you know, the sun, the moon, and the stars of this Mariners team over the last six weeks, Teoscar has been a very good second banana. Mm-hmm. And uh, if he goes this winter, how do you replace that production? Yeah, it is. Yeah, that's, uh, a, that's, a, that's like that's that's not a that's not a rhetorical question either. I mean, is Don mm-hmm. Canzone the guy? Maybe, but well, I mean, I the other know, the other know? it leads to the other question that I was going to ask you, which is, what do you do when Jared Kelnick's ready to return here next week? I mean, he plays, doesn't he? There's a lot of folks in Seattle who don't think so. I mean, I honestly just, you know, we had this conversation yesterday on the show and it's interesting hearing how many folks are saying, nope, they don't want that, that the team wasn't as good when Jared was at his best and that even at times this year, he his best wasn't all that great and that it sort of deteriorated before he got hurt anyway. So I'm not necessarily taking that point of view, but there's quite a few people yeah, around who think they, that. Did- do, do these people want to play Marlowe or Canzone or yes, Kelnick? they do. Uh, all right, just save it, <laughs> honestly. Mm-hmm. Is, is, this, is this even a conversation? Yes, yes, they're, they're fans passing, and we're here. 
We're here. We're leading the division with 25 games to go, Jeffrey. We're right here. And this is a team full of good vibes. This is a team that is loose and loose as can be. And Jared is a live wire. It's very intense. <laughs> Breaks his foot kicking a, kicking a cooler, Jeff. So there, and, and I'm, I'm not diminishing those fans that feel that way, that watch a game through the optics of television and say, yeah, man, this guy, this guy doesn't have good vibes. He's just too intense for the way and the makeup this team is put together in this run they've been on. Now, lose three of four, lose four or five, lose seven of eight. Yeah. And maybe yeah, they, yeah. maybe they come around yeah. just a little bit more. The notion that you're concerned, and not you, Brock, but the the royal you of clowns out there who are espousing this position, the notion that you're concerned with somebody's bad energy affecting the team when he is going to be around the team regardless of whether he's playing or not is so patently illogical and foolish and Jeff. beyond the pale dumb. Jeff, I don't know Jeff. why I'm wasting my breath addressing it. All right, well Jeff. then let, let me let me give, let me give you a different if, argument. If Je- let me if give you a different Jared let me give you a different argument. Around, he plays period. All right, so let me give period. you the other argument that I have heard and I and I just use B war here. Jared Kelnick in 90 games this year has a war of 1.9. Cade Marlowe in half as many games just not even a third as many 33 games has a one war and Dominic Canzone in just 26 games for them, a 0.6 war is the, is, I mean, the other argument to be made is has nothing to do with the emotion or whatever people think Jared Kelnick is like as a person. What about just that part of it? Just the productivity. Yeah. Um, I mean, if we want to look at productivity recently over the last two weeks, Tom or uh, Kate Marlowe striking out 75% of his plate appearances. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And, and if we want to, if we want to look at productivity the last two weeks, Dominic Canzone hasn't walked and, and he's hit, listen, the, the home runs, like the power, that's, that's good. I appreciate that. Um, and I, I think that Canzone, especially, should get some playing time. I don't know if that's a, at DH, if it's in uh, left field, where you know wherever it is. Might Canzone end up being at be first base if Ty France doesn't start doing a little bit more. But anyway, that's a mm-hmm. side conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, all all that said, I will I will bet on Jared Kelnick before I bet on those guys, and that that's that's because I like we've seen what. Kelnick is capable of doing and I know he hasn't done it as consistently as people would hope for um, but I just I can't I have trouble forgetting the 480 foot home run at Wrigley <laughs> <laughs> like, yep. I, I just I have a really difficult time getting that out of my head and thinking that that guy would be sitting on the bench for There's... one of the others who who have very similar issues to him uh, in terms of weaknesses, Marlowe's weaknesses is, is striking out. Kenzone's weakness is patience at the plate, um, and and Kenzone's defense leaves quite a bit to be desired as well. So, I don't know. I I think I think it's Kelnick a hundred percent all the way until he shows that uh, he does not deserve the job anymore. 
A lot of what great you, text messages, by the way. What are you way. chuckling about? You well, I'm some... reading some of the text coming in that says, yeah, I'm diminishing the fans that don't want Kelnick back. Wow, Jeff's in rare form. Why do you have to let Passon know there are so many stupid people in Seattle, says one texter. <laughs> Matt, that's not very nice. Uh, yeah, there's some others in here. But, Jeff, just know that a lot of people want you to know that they don't feel that way, and they would mm-hmm. like to be uh, excused. Exonerated. Yeah, exonerated. Yes. Thank you. Uh, one fear that I do have, Jeffrey, over these final 25, and it's been more of a fear for me than it has been for Salk uh, and and he he lives with strikeouts a little bit more than I do and I'm comfortable with uh, but A. Eugenio has now surpassed Teo is the number one strikeout guy in baseball Teo is number two in baseball Julio's in the top 12 of baseball if Kelnick were playing he would have been in the top five of baseball mm-hmm. can, can you and can you... there and there in and there in Brock you have described the thing that will take down the Mariners at some point this season, I believe. That That's where Mariners fans should be scared. It's that in the postseason, they're going to be facing pitching rotations and bullpens that are there because they strike guys out. And the the inability to put the ball in play as consistently as the Mariners should or as consistently as you want to see from a team is the Achilles heel that, uh, you know, I understand strikeouts around baseball uh, are profound these days and that it's just accepted as part of the game. Right. But I look at the best offenses out there. Um, I, I look at the Astros and they're striking out 20% of the time. I look at the, Braves and they're striking out 20.9% of the time. Um, you know, the, the Mariners are over 26% and it's the sort of thing that I fear, uh, will be their downfall. And when you asked what team to face for weeks from now, it would actually be clearly for me, Minnesota, because they're built the same. And when they played, they've been Correct. the exact same game down to the ninth inning on almost every single game because both Minnesota is right there with them, right? I'm, I don't have the numbers in front of me. What is Minnesota's team strikeout percentage? Yeah, Minnesota's at 26.8%. They're the only team that's, that strikes out more than uh... – than the Mariners do, and and similarly, like Minnesota, stri- Minnesota's pitching staff strikes out a lot of guys. Mm-hmm. I think they, I think they're right. They might lead MLB in strikeouts this year. Yep. Uh, hey, I- both, both, I, I believe both hitting and pitching. I wanted to go in a just totally different direction, but I thought the story was sort of interesting, and I thought maybe you could tell it well. And that is just everything we saw over the weekend in with the L.A. and, and Atlanta series, and specifically Acuna and his story from the weekend and going crazy on the field and getting married off of it. The whole story is pretty insane. Good question. <laughs> well, it's not a question. I just hope maybe you could tell the story. Okay, just I, I I wasn't sure if you were like if you wanted me to tell the story. I did, yeah, no, I was like... hoping maybe you could tell the story because I think it's interesting. Yeah, Ronald Acuna Jr. Uh, he got married and then he had a big home run. It was awesome, dude. You're the worst. <laughs> you're the worst. You really are. Come on. <laughs> You have an opportunity to tell the great story of how some of the best players in baseball are all playing against Uh each other this weekend. And all you have is that. 
<laughs> You're the worst. Just the worst. All he right, learned fine. under John Swatsky. He knows what a good question <laughs> is. It wasn't what a, good a question. question. I was asking him to tell a story. That's all. Sheesh. I mean, you literally never said tell a story. You just. I said you just maybe you could tell the story better than me. Put the thing out there into the world and just left it hanging. It's radio host and 101 right there. Wow. Mike Sog got a D minus. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I got one last. I got one last one because right. this this is one Go that I think my Mar- wounds in the other room for a few minutes. <laughs> I think this is one kicked around the water coolers in Seattle with the Otani news yesterday and his agent saying he's going to have a surgery done. Didn't say Tommy John, but I think we can all assume he's going to hit next year. Was all of that intel and information shared good news or bad news for the odds of Otani as a Mariner? The odds of Otani as a Mariner, what a really interesting topic. Great question. Thank you, Jeff. Yeah, that's called setting up the the guest to thrive. Um, That's something we're looking to do here? Hold on. <laughs> I didn't realize I was no, part of looking, the job. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I don't know, Mike. It seems like you're looking to remind me uh, that you said the Rangers were going to collapse, and they collapsed. And I'm not doing that. that. That's been your... But I appreciate you bringing that up anyway. I didn't bring it up, but if you want to talk about that, you bring it up. I'm happy to talk more about it. Of course. <laughs> um... <laughs> One minute, I... Otani odds. Uh, I don't know that the odds are great. Uh, I think they should be. And, and that, that to me is the existential question of this winter for the Seattle Mariners. They have been handed an absolute gift by Shohei Otani getting hurt in that this price that was going to be beyond exorbitant before the injury and is still going to be enormous after the injury, um, is is within the price range that the Mariners could conceivably, reasonably, theoretically, and should be spending. Uh, and yet there's no indication that they are going to pursue him uh, with the uh, extreme nature that I think they should. Mm-hmm. I think he should be their top, not just their top priority, but they should do everything they possibly could to bring him to town and stretch the budget as beyond what they were expecting it to be, because this is a once in a lifetime player and uh, you don't get opportunities like this uh, very often and, you know, go out and, and be the team that you want to be. Go ahead and convince Shohei Otani that he should win championships in Seattle and not somewhere else. Amen and amen. Thank Absolutely. you, Jeffrey. Jeff, as always, a pleasure <laughs> and a unique experience every single week. Thanks, man. Radio Appreciate it. All right. <laughs> Goodbye, Jeffrey. There you go. There's Jeff Passan, who joins us against my better judgment every Tuesday at 830. Uh, we got so much still to do today, Brock. Uh, let me come right back. I want to react to some of what Jeff said. And then at 930, two words that you brought up earlier that I want to come back to as well. It's Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710 CLSports.com.